So today is the Feast of the Immaculate Heart of Mary. And as I said at the beginning of Mass, this, this feast is deliberately put after the Feast of the Sacred Heart to show the unity between these two hearts. Even, um, maybe for the homily now, you can't see the images in front of the, the altar there, but the image of the Sacred Heart and the image of the Immaculate Heart are quite similar in that, that the hearts, as they are represented, are both on fire with love. They're, they're, they both have a crown, Jesus' heart having a crown of thorns, Our Lady's heart having a crown of roses, and both, both are pierced. So Jesus' heart pierced with the lance. Our Lady then, the mother of sorrows, pierced <clears throat> because of her unity with Jesus and seeing his passion, death, and resurrection, and in sharing uh, that suffering, not in her bodies, and she herself wasn't scourged or crucified, <clears throat> but there is no way that Our Lady, in seeing her beloved son treated that way, remained just simply indifferent. In fact, if anything, uh, sometimes internal sufferings, the sufferings of the heart, can be far worse, far more painful, far more uh, like, uh, en- like energy sapping. They can just unplug you far more than physical sufferings. If you've got some sort of a physical ailment, maybe you can take a painkiller or you, there's something you can distract yourself maybe in some way. But often it's these interior sufferings, the sufferings of the heart, that just wipe you. you know? And this would have been what Our Lady would have shared in, in seeing Jesus suffer so much. She would have shared absolutely uh, in his sufferings uh, and in his passion, but all for the same goal, all to the same end, as St. Paul would say in Colossians, to make up what is lacking in the sufferings of Christ. What do you mean make up what is lacking in the sufferings of Christ? There's nothing lacking in the sufferings of Christ, but it's, it's not so much that Jesus' sacrifice was incomplete or imperfect, but we are his mystical body, so we continue his mission. We continue his mission. Jesus could have stayed on earth well, forever, in, in human form, if he had wished, and travel and do his world tour. You know. <laughs> it would have been a kind of a literally Jesus Christ superstar world tour kind of thing. So, you know, he's going to be in, in Sydney now and, 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 you know, book out some stadium or some huge field, and Jesus himself will come and speak and work miracles. He could have, and to be honest, I think that would be a great idea. It would save me an awful lot of work anyway. But he chooses to entrust the church to us. He could have even entrusted this to, to angels. I mean, that would be pretty epic and spectacular as well, you know. If, like, so the choir, the, the seraphim have just booked out Croke Park now for the 25th of, of August and people are booking tickets to go see the angels, you know. I mean, I know it sounds ridiculous, like, but these are the kind of things that Jesus could have done, God could have ordained to send angels or send, even like, send Our Lady on a, on a regular basis who could be visited by everyone, seen by everyone, heard by everyone. Why not? Because he has chosen you. That's why. Because he has chosen you. He has chosen you to be his hands and to be his feet and to be his voice. He has chosen you. We continue the Lord's mission. And as, as Jesus says, he who wants to be a follower of mine, let him renounce himself, take up his cross, and follow me. And this is that difficult truth of being Christian that it doesn't make us exempt from suffering. We won't be immune to the, the battles of the, the world around us. We won't be unscathed. Let him renounce himself, take up his cross and follow me. And maybe this is the, the eloquence <coughs> that we're called to have 
as regards our faith and as regards our following of the Lord, as regards our discipleship, as regards our love for him. It's not so much in rhetoric and a wonderful command of the English language or whatever language we speak. That's not it. I think it's the eloquence of the cross. I think it's the eloquence of a heart that loves the Lord and people can simply feel when they hear this person speak, stuttering as they may be, uh, imperfect as their grammar may be, uh, they hear and feel there is an authentic love for God there. We think of the Irish missionaries like who went all across Europe and even I think of Irish missionaries who went to Africa. I mean, no offence to us Irish. I think in general we're not great at languages. From what I've heard anyway, we're generally not great at foreign languages. We must have butchered any of those, English, any of those African languages that we learned. We must have been absolutely awful. But they listened. They listened. And I remember even for myself, like when I worked down in in Naples or, or, or in Rome and like there's a big church full of people I'm the only foreigner in it and I'm the, I'm the only person with a microphone it's, it's a small but intimidating it's a small I remember we visited Pompeii once and we, were in this, we asked the priest if we could concelebrate he said sure no problem so we're in the sacristy and then just as we're processing out he says to me uh, would you like to say a few words do you, to, do you want to give the homily as we're processing out in Pompeii and I said to him, as we're processing, and you, you, you turn the corner like, and there's a basilica full of people. And me, the pale, pasty, Irish young priest. Uh, and I just thought, well, if the Lord has ordained it so, okay, <laughs> I will. What am I doing? <laughs> what's, what, like, what's, what's, what are the readings? What's the gospel? Give me something to go on. But it, it can be very, very intimidating. But I would hope, I would hope that it's not the eloquence of, of the words or the command of the language that touches people's hearts. In that case, only smart people could witness to the Lord. And that's not the case. That's not the case. I read something recently, and you'll pardon the source of my um, text this morning, but... Roald Dahl, in his book, The Twits, uh, he says something which I think is, is there's a profundity, I think, for, for today's feast in what he's saying. So in his book, The Twits, he writes the following. If a person has ugly thoughts, it begins to show on the person's face. When that person has ugly thoughts every day, every week, every year, the face gets uglier and uglier until it gets so ugly you can hardly look at it. A person who has good thoughts cannot be ugly. You can have a wonky nose and a crooked mouth and a double chin and stick-out teeth, but if you have good thoughts, they will shine out of your face like sunbeams, and you will always look lovely. When I think of the Immaculate Heart of Mary and that beauty that she irradiated. I think it, it, what she had, the beauty of her heart, was the beauty of her person. The beauty of her heart, it, it, the beauty of her person wasn't cosmetic, or wasn't eggshells or egg whites or whatever they would have used back in the day for, uh, what's it called? Not detoxifying, what's it called? What's it with the skin? Pew. Exfoliate, exfoliate. Yeah, she didn't have kind of some amazing exfoliating cream or something. Uh, our Lady's beauty was the beauty of her heart. And I have no doubt 
uh, that would have emanated in her person through everything she did. She would have had such profound beauty. From working here in Holy Family and, and uh, a bit before, <clears throat> a woman's heart is different to a man's. Call me sexist. <laughs> okay. Ask a psychologist. I think they'll agree. Ask, actually, ask the, 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 the advertising world, okay? If you work in advertising, you know you have to pitch things in a certain way to women, pitch things in a certain way to men. So, again, this, isn't, this is just common sense, I think, but okay. A woman's heart is, is, is different to a man's. I find a woman's heart a fairly terrifying place, if I'm honest. Uh, there is such tenderness and love and beauty in there. Coupled with a long memory and, and an ability to bring back hurts, words, or actions from decades ago as if they just happened. And that's, that this isn't a criticism. I mean, this can be a great thing because, I mean, used for good, that's phenomenal because it means hopefully you can also bring back and make present again the beautiful moments the beautiful words, the beautiful experiences of 20 years ago. But the danger, the danger in, in, that, in that heart is holding on to, to hurt, not forgiving, and becoming embittered. And it's, it's, it's a very real danger. But like, again, it's like, it's like sometimes any of our gifts, all of our gifts can actually be our greatest danger as well. Say you're intelligent, for example, right? Wonderful gift. I mean, study comes easy to you. You can understand things and you can recount it afterwards with great accuracy. Good, and you become an actuary or a doctor or a surgeon, whatever it is. Good, and this is all, all good so far, but your intelligence can also make you arrogant. They start, you know, dismissing those who are more stupid than you. Or you're a doctor, so you think the nurses are stupid. And you, you know, just arrogance, arrogance, arrogance kind of coming out of you. Then that spills into your family and your, how you treat your wife and how you treat your kids. And like, so now your intelligence <clears throat> becomes your greatest adversary, your greatest cross. So it's, it's a gift given that now becomes a problem. So, and this, can, this goes for anything. Intelligent, um, intelligence one, good looks the same way. You know, they can become a great gift. You know, if, if some, like we've, we, we have spoken about before, when we used to do the night fever or light fever and you're inviting people in off the street, to, to light candles in a church. Some of our, of our girls would go out like, and they'd give a smile to a bunch of lads and they could lead 20 lads into the chapel with their candle in hand going, yeah, well, I suppose if you're going to the church, I suppose I'll go too, like. And they go in there with their candle and, and now this, you know, because uh, and it's, a super, yeah, it's a superficial thing, absolutely. But it's something that can be used for the, for the greater glory of God, great. So all of these things, all of our gifts, can be used for the greater glory of God, and all should be. The Lord wants us to use all that we have been given for him, as Our Lady did. As Our Lady did. All that she had was the Lord's. Lucia, the visionary in Fatima, she described one of the visions that, that they had in Fatima there in 1917. As Our Lady spoke, she opened her hands for the second time and she communicated to us the rays of that same immense light 
We saw ourselves in this light. It was, we saw ourselves in this light, as it were, immersed in God. In front of the palm of Our Lady's right hand was a heart encircled by thorns which pierced it. We understood that this was the Immaculate Heart of Mary, outraged by the sins of humanity and seeking reparation. Our Lady is our Mother. Our Lady is our Queen. And Our Lady in Heaven is not indifferent to our sufferings here. She's not indifferent to our plight here. Our Lady's beauty comes from within, comes from her unity with Jesus, comes from her loving heart. And that, that love which she was capable of, that love of the heart that can come from, from any woman in a particular way, that tender love, that tender heart, that wonderful gift of being able to love, it must be protected, it must be kept safe. It's a great gift. If it's not coupled with, with mercy, if it's not coupled with forgiveness, if it's not aided by God's grace, it can lead to great unhappiness. Imagine if Our Lady, it's, it's, it's almost a ridiculous thought, but imagine if Our Lady had held on to resentment against those who had killed her son and those who had spoken badly of him. But she didn't. She treasured all these things in her heart. It says in scripture, all the things that would have happened to Jesus, all the things that he would have said, she treasures them all, she holds them all in her heart. The events of the Passion, Death and Resurrection, she holds all those in her heart. And she responds with love. A priest said once, uh, relatively recently at a talk I was at, he said a priest must do his suffering before the tabernacle. A priest must do his suffering before the tabernacle. That the crosses that we have, we must, yeah, absolutely carry them, but not through our own grace, through the grace of God, and there in him to find all that we need, that our hearts can be filled with that priestly love that we need to be able to minister and serve. So all of us have this, have this calling to have our hearts, our interior life, formed and healed, that that life and love can emanate from us to those around us, that we can be life-giving to others, that we can bring hope and joy and peace wherever we go, not division and gossip and bitterness. And did you hear what she said? And did you hear what he said? And what are they thinking? And what are they doing? Get rid of all of that. Fill our hearts with love, because what, when we're shaken, what spills out of us is what has filled us. When we're shaken, when some difficulty in life knocks us, what spills out of us is what our heart is filled with. And if our heart is filled with love and joy and peace, then that is what will overflow when we're shaken. So, Lord, fill our hearts. Fill our hearts to overflowing with love, with love, with love, especially for those who we find difficult, especially for those who have hurt us, especially for those who do not understand us, don't listen to us, don't talk to us, ignore us. Fill our hearts with love for them, that on this feast of the Immaculate Heart of Mary, we won't just talk nicely about her, but may we imitate her. Amen.